Welcome back, everyone, to Life and Lit. This is episode 65 in our first book of July. Um, we're trying a new author, but a familiar genre for us. We're sticking with the thriller theme, and we'll be talking about Notes on an Execution by Danya Kakowska. Before we get into it, I'm Paige. And I'm Sydney. And this is Life and Lit. That one was much better. <laughs> much better. Very <laughs> good. <laughs> you pulled it together. Yeah, I had, to, I had to gather my thoughts. I tried to get too elaborate in the opening, and then I was like, save it. Save it for the I actual mean, discussion. We haven't messed up an opening in a while, so I feel like it was just time. I, like, we can't yeah, have too much streak. And I think I felt the pressure because I thought it right before like I started to talk about it and it wasn't like I need to laugh it was just like I don't know what to say yes <laughs> it's all right so, we, made so it. we made it we made it through um we're sticking with the thriller theme like I said we did a grief thriller slash horror theme last week uh with this thing between us which if you haven't listened to that one I recommend doing it. I think it's one of our best episodes. And we had our first guest host, which was yes. really exciting. And so we were like, why not stick on the morbid train and go with another thriller? But this one's more of a crime psychological thriller. You're yes. traditional, I would say. And a new author. I keep wanting to say artist. A new artist, but it's definitely author. <laughs> I mean, writing is a form of art, so exactly. it would work Thank you. either way. But yeah, I have wanted to read this book for a while because it was one that I just saw on sale for like one ninety nine on my Kindle. And my Kindle is full of books I have not read because I buy them on sale. And so when we were talking about different books, I was like, let me just shop my Kindle library. And this one popped up and it, I was drawn to it because it's such an interesting concept where it's yes. told it's a crime novel crime thriller told in part from the point of view of the perpetrator which yes. I just thought was so fascinating and totally different from any other like crime thriller that I've read so I was really intrigued by this book and so luckily you were on board and yeah we this was a quick read I was hooked and like binged it basically yes me and, too like, I yeah, I downloaded the ebook and would read it like at any opportunity that I could. I was like in the dentist, like waiting room, just reading this book and trying, trying to get it finished. But it, it wasn't hard to finish because it was such a quick read. Um, and I didn't know what it was about. You just like sent me a screenshot of the cover and I was like, notes on an execution. Yeah, sold. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just want to put a little disclaimer, Liz. Uh, who was our guest host last week, I told her about this book and I'm sorry I was wrong about what it was actually about because <laughs> I had just <laughs> started it. And so I, I told her um, that it was from, like part of it is from the perspective of the perpetrator, but I also said like the other perspectives that you see, I just said the girls that he killed. Um, no. That's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. It's definitely the women in his life uh but not the ones that he killed so yes. i just wanted to say i'm sorry liz i still highly recommend it <laughs> but it's maybe not as dark and morbid as i made it out to be because that would take it to a whole different level i think see i feel like the, like what am i trying to say not conceptually content wise Maybe not as dark and morbid, but overall it is because it's oh, really a deep dive into like systemically how this person became this way and what led like the things in their life and failures yeah. in their life that led them to this. Yeah. Which oh, it's definitely morbid. It's definitely dark. And we will put a trigger warning in here yes. um, as we get going, but we'll get a little more specific on that. But it was not. I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be like up until the moment he kills him? And then it was like, no, you're 
Yeah, it wasn't like lovely bone style where you're reading from the point of view of the victim, which would also be an interesting concept, but yeah. it was just really it well done. Be, I, but that would be more like nightmare inducing. Yes. And I was interested that I was still drawn in because like the whole premise of the book it's it's not like a who done it because you know who done it because the person you know exactly. is convicted yeah. and awaiting their punishment and so it's like not that kind of hook you in but i was still hooked in to see like how how they got there and how they got caught and all of that so yes. it was yeah just a different kind of thriller but yeah. very interesting I was impressed with this first read from this author. So I was too, and I will absolutely read more of hers. But she's a literary agent, so you know Ooh. she knows a good book from a bad one. So I, I love that she delivers. I guess before we get too far into it, I'm going to put the trigger warning here. Like we said, it's content more morbid. So if you're triggered by any of the following. I definitely like just want you to be aware because this book depicts physical, sexual abuse, assault, um, phys- physical abuse of a child, homicide, and then some brief mentions of suicide. So, yeah. and animal cruelty. We'll throw that in there. Oh yeah, animal cruelty. Oh yeah, definitely that one. Um, yeah. So yeah, very good book. Very dark material. So we just want to let you know, if you do choose to continue listening, we will not go as much into detail as the book does. But if you choose to read it, just a little warning there. Yes. So before we dive too much more in, I will give the summary. And this is just coming from the Amazon summary. And this is Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukovka. Ansel Packer is scheduled to die in 12 hours. He knows what he's done and now awaits execution, the same chilling fate he forced on those girls years ago. But Ansel doesn't want to die. He wants to be celebrated, understood. Through a kaleidoscope of women, a mother, a sister, a homicide detective, we learn the story of Ansel's life. We meet his mother, Lavender, a 17-year-old girl pushed to desperation. Hazel, twin sister to Ansel's wife, inseparable since birth, forced to watch helplessly as her sister's relationship threatens to devour them all. And finally, Safi, the detective hot on his trail, who has devoted herself to bringing bad men to justice, but struggles to see her own life clearly. As the clock ticks down, these three women sift through the choices that culminate in tragedy, exploring the rippling fissures that such destruction inevitably leaves in its wake. Blending breathtaking suspense with astonishing empathy, Notes on an Execution presents a chilling portrait of womanhood as it simultaneously unravels the familiar narrative of the American serial killer, interrogating our system of justice and our cultural obsession with crime stories, asking readers to consider the false promise of looking for meaning in the psyches of violent men. Yes. I I think it's such an interesting perspective where it is like, why people are so obsessed with people like this with serial killers and why they're doing it and you know the psychology behind it i will admit is very interesting um yeah i don't know if anybody's watched the show mind hunter on netflix very very good highly recommend (laughs) definite trigger warnings there but i also like each character's journey and as I was listening, I still had not read the summary <laughs> until, <laughs> until you it's read right it out now. loud. And I was like, yeah, it's very obviously not the point of view of, of his victim. So, yeah, uh, I was just completely wrong about that, Liz. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you want to read the book or if like before you listen to this episode, press pause here because spoiler alert, we will be doing a deep dive into uh, notes on an execution from this point on. Yes. So it opens um, from the point of view of Ansel Packer. He is on death row for his crimes and the girls that he murdered. And it's the day of his execution. And the way it, like this book is presented is it'll say like 12 hours. And then you're at, you know, it's Ansel's point of view. And then it'll go back to, like you said, either Lavender Hazel or Safi and then their point of view up into this moment so the entire story 
is going to come together, but there's a lot of flashbacks. So we're going to do our best to try to keep it as cohesive as possible. Yes. Which one thing that I found really interesting and loved stylistically is that all of the chapters from Ansel's point of view are told um, like in second person. So it will say, you know, today is the day and you're awaiting your execution and your blah, blah, blah. So it really like tries to put you, the reader, into the feelings that he's feeling, which I thought was a really interesting choice. I I don't want to say that it made me feel empathetic to Ansel because it really didn't. But I thought it was interesting. It made me think about like, oh my gosh, what if this was happening to me? Like, and that's, that's what it was led to do. So yeah, it was just very interesting. Yeah. It it kind of puts you in that like time ticking away kind of perspective. But like we said, it's the day of his execution. um, And Ansel has a plan. You know, he doesn't believe that he is guilty and he believes that he can be a better person. Um, so he has manipulated one of the correctional officers, Shauna. She's the only female correctional officer. And he's, you know, thinking that he's manipulated her into setting up an escape plan while he's being transferred from his prison to the site of execution. And so the entire time is just talking about, like, that kind of sets the story up. It's talking about his time in the prison um, it talks a lot about his theory, which is kind of like his memoir that he has left behind. And he's, you know, envisioning this big, famous future for him um, after this book is published. Because can you imagine what sort of uproar that would cause if, you know, a death row inmate had a book published about their life and their crimes? Um but the entire time Ansel's like trying to reason with, you know, he's going to be good. This isn't who he is. It's also a very detached, dissociated way that he's talking very creepy because he's like, you know, I've convinced you've convinced Shauna to help you. You've convinced her that you love her. Um, You don't have, you know, you don't know if you can actually love anybody, but you've trained your face to give off the expressions of love that you've seen others put on. Oh, and so it's like, just like gave me chills hearing that again. Yeah, yes. That, that was the freakiest part of the book to me is like seeing how just dissociated and unfeeling and kind of robotic he was like, and his how mind, he rationalized yes. his crimes. Like he never said, I didn't do it, but he was yeah. like trying to excuse away what he did and why. And like, yeah, he was, he was like, well, I won't do it again. Yeah. You know? He's like, I'm different now. That was different. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, like, like, I'll tell you about it and you'll come to understand like why it happened. And just yeah. like, he, he tries to rationalize everything and in his mind, he wasn't wrong. But it's also freaky to see him try to, like, emulate human emotion and and expressions that he's, you know, observed from people around him because he himself cannot feel them. Yes. Ugh, it was creepy. And he, so he's on death row because he has been convicted. At first, we just know of three murders. And he's nicknamed the girly killer because his victims were all, like, adolescent girls like 17 yes. maybe 18 young all within like, a summer yes college age girls it gave me I mean I listened to a lot of true crime so I was like this is totally believable um but one of the suspenseful parts underlying this that like kept me interested was this whole plot with Shauna of like is yes. did he really get to her did he really turn her because the whole the plan was that she was supposed to take her deceased like her she's a widow her husband died and she was going to she began this relationship with Ansel and she was going to take her husband's gun and slide like plant it in under the seat of the transport van that Ansel was going to be in going from the prison yeah. to the execution site and then he was going to 
you know, kill the guards, escape, and he and Shauna would run away together. And they were going to, like, rendezvous at this meeting spot. Which, side plot, this is so interesting to me because, like, it's scary and sad, but that happens. Like, it was just, what, like, a year or two ago when this similar situation played out, like, in Georgia with an inmate, with a prison guard and an inmate. And the only reason I distinctly remember this is because they like came through Mount Vernon where I live and they were caught in Evansville, Indiana, which is like an hour away from me. So I was like, Oh my gosh. But it's, it's crazy to see how much manipulative power these like sociopaths have over, over other people and how, how they prey on them. They like single them out they learn their weaknesses and how they can win them over. You know, it's, it's, Exactly what happened with Ted Bundy and Charles Manson. That's how they get these followers. You know, Ansel wasn't, like, to that level. He didn't have the followers. He didn't have that many women. Um, but he had that ability to single the, you know, kind of helpless people out yeah. and use them to his advantage. It's, so, yeah, it, it was the anticipation of did shauna actually set everything up to help him and you keep going so it's pushing it further and further on until like you find out if she did or not so we are going to follow that and start back on the flashbacks and the first one was from his mother lavender and her story is absolutely heartbreaking like all of the the three women that we follow lavender safi and hazel they all have very sad stories but Lavender's particularly, like, stood out to me as to, like, yes. how hopeless she was. You know, she grew up um, probably in the 70s. You know, I think it yes. started in the 70s. It was, like, and, 78, I think, or something. Yeah. And, it, you know, she did, uh, the author did a really good job of setting the scene for you and, like, kind of putting you back in that, you know, time because it felt very 70s it was very much you know after school she and her friend jenny like would you know go outside and smoke cigarettes and do drugs and talk about how they were going to take a bus out to california and like live in like the colonies there you know like just very much it kind of gave me like jenny from forrest gump vibes like her friend jenny yeah um but then lavender had a terrible home life Um, So she didn't have any role models. She didn't have a stable home to go home to. And she met an older man at the bar one night. And his name was Johnny Packer. Johnny was a good, what do you want, like 15 years older than her, you think? Yeah, for sure. Enough for it to give me the ick, um, for sure. absolutely. Yeah. And so she... Drops everything, you know, drops her friend, she drops out of school, and she goes to live with Johnny on his farm in um, upstate New York. So she's pretty much stranded on this farm. You know, they've a few months at this point, and she moves in with him and, like, becomes kind of, like, it was very, like, servant-like to me. Like, she would keep the house clean, and she would do the laundry, and she... He was basically like, you have to earn your keep here. But then she also kept his bed warm at night. Yeah. It was like indentured servant. Yeah. And it was sad because it's, and I don't even want to say a trope because I feel like it happens a lot in real life and especially to like vulnerable women. But she was a vulnerable young girl looking for love and affection. And Johnny sensed that, took advantage of it. And he would promise her like, we're, you know, we're going to live on this farm and it's going to be so beautiful and you'll have your garden and your animals and all of this freedom will be away from the world. But what he really meant is I'm going to take you out here and like basically imprison you. Like he wouldn't yeah. let her leave. He made her do everything while he sometimes went to work and sometimes didn't, but he would take away the car and not teach her how to drive and like just really isolated her. It was very... It was sad. And, like, this this whole section was horrifying. Yeah. But the promise of this new life that she was hoping and that she believed was going to happen quickly soured because Johnny showed his true colors and became 
emotionally, physically, mentally abusive to her. Yes. And it reminds me a lot of the song Fast Car, which, like, everyone knows, hopefully. It is so much about the, like, hope and promise that you mm-hmm. put in someone and then when it goes sour it's just heartbreaking yeah it is it's awful and reading about this you know that like we said it's a very tough subject and the author does not but uh lavender becomes pregnant with their first child and she has ansel and at this point she's what 19 um yeah. 18 or 19 she's very very young and you know, I think Johnny she's only Sing- seventeen when she had Ansel. Oh, really? Oh, so she? Yeah, yeah she was like fifteen when she ran away with him. Yeah. Oh gosh, I think I was yeah. trying to make her older in my mind. <laughs> it wasn't as icky, but it. Yeah, there's no improving that. But um, she has Ansel in the barn actually, and the next day Johnny's like pretty much like get up, like you have housework to do and all this, oh. and. She basically raise, raises Ansel on her own. Like, Johnny will be there for, like, 20 minutes a day to, like, hold him and be like, you know, look at my son. Like, he's, you know, the heir to blah, blah, blah. But then he'll, like, immediately leave um, or he gets abusive towards her. But Ansel, from a very young uh, age, shows early, early signs of kind of being a psychopath. I'm not going to put it lightly. Um, you know, he has, like, vacant gazes. He seems very intelligent, but also closed off. Um, at a very young age, he starts to harm animals. And this part yeah. really freaks me out because she was, like, one day Ansel, like, gets lost in the woods. And she's begging Johnny to, like, she's gardening, turned around, and he's gone. She's begging Johnny to go find him. And Johnny eventually, you know, like, he refuses, refuses. And finally he storms off to go find them, but then later while she's outside Ansel comes walking out of the woods and she, he's covered in blood and she's like terrified checking him to make sure he's okay but he's fine but he's holding a headless chipmunk Ugh. and she and she like she's like I'm gonna ignore that um, but that was a very early sign and that is commonly an early sign of yeah. um, psychopathy and all that is harming animals from a young age it's like there's a they call it the something triad but it's like abuse abusing animals setting fires and i I think bedwetting like at an extended age not like as a toddler but like in 12 and 13 those are all can be indicators of like yeah psych psych, psychopathy i guess you would say like psychopathy yeah yeah it just Oh, when I read that, I was like, okay, we know where this is going. Like, Yeah. I mean, we already knew where it was I going. mean, we knew, but now I'm like, okay, there it is. Yeah. From but it, it's not three. like it was later on in life. It started very early on. But um, despite how miserable Lavender is and she wants to get out, um, she ends up getting pregnant again with a younger brother. And she's in a very, like, depressed state at this point. You know, I think she has postpartum. But it's also just an overall hopeless feeling of getting out of this situation. Um, you know, she doesn't feel this bond toward the second baby like she did with Ansel. But it also scares her, like, the love that she has for them and wh- how much she gave up for them. So one day, she manages to convince Johnny uh, to take her for a drive off the farm. She leaves the two boys there, which it, they're, like, four and then, and like, a couple months old. Yeah. yeah. Um, and while she's there, she runs into the gas station, calls the, like, Child Protective Services and directs them to the farm and says, you know, I'm abandoning them, essentially, and their father is abusive. You need to get out there right away. Then the gas station worker hides her in the storage room. Johnny gets really mad. He storms off with the truck. And then we later find out that... Um, the police do go to the farm and they get Ansel and his baby brother who she never named. She just called him baby Packer. And, um, but they, we find out that baby Packer died um, before that help could arrive. And then Ansel is sent to a foster home called Miss Gemma's. Uh, this is just, it's awful. Hor- it's, it's horrible. It is so horrible. It's horrible. Cause like you feel bad for what Ansel 
went through and like what he experienced in his life, but like nothing can excuse what he does. But I right. think the the author does a good job of balancing that to be like, look at this hard life he had, and you're like, yeah, but he still killed a lot of girls. So yes, uh, I never felt. Like, I, I guess I did expect this book, and maybe I just didn't buy into it as much, but, like, I, yeah, the same thing. Where like, I understood, and I felt bad for the bad childhood Ansel had, and I, yeah. like, it made it clear of, like, this is how and why this person is so messed up to do these yeah. awful things, but I was never, like, oh, but he's not really a bad person. Like, yeah, he's still a bad person, but this is why. Like, it makes sense of why now going through all this because I can't even imagine a four-year-old. And he, one thing that is mentioned throughout the present day is that, like, how Ansel just hears the screaming in his head of his baby brother because he basically, the baby starved to death because Mm -hmm. they were left alone so long and he was just crying and crying. And Ansel, at four years old, couldn't help him and so that's the sound of that has like plagued him his whole life and he'll say like you know the first killing was the only time the screaming stopped for a little bit and it's like yeah very very silence of the lambs like do you hear them screaming is what i thought of but so you can tell obviously this has stuck with him his whole life as it would anyone so Ansel gets into this foster home, Miss Gemma's. And when he is there, he meets. So we flashed forward a little bit because I think he's older at this point. He's not yeah. four. He's like, I don't know. He's I thought a, he was around the same he's age. He's like a pre. Yeah. yeah. He meets Safi, another girl who's at the foster home. And then there's also Kristen and Lila. The, and there's some other kids, but these are the, the three that they focus on because these three girls all share a room together. They're around the same age. There's an older, like, 14-year-old girl that kind of bonds with them as well. But they're intrigued by Ansel, this new kid. He's around their same age. They think he's kind of cute. He's really mysterious and, like, broody. Just preteen things, you know. And it all starts going south, kind of, when dead animals start showing up around the property like a dead squirrel here and then a dead chipmunk and then a dead bunny and whatever, like left obviously in places and it starts yeah. off. Oh, it's just an animal. But meanwhile, we, the reader, hopefully know where this is going, but right. with all this going on, Safi and Ansel have begun a, a playground romance. Like Safi is yeah. crushing on him. She wants to get to know him. She like, daydreams about him that whole kind of thing and they have this moment where they listen to records together and they're holding hands and it's all well and good until Safi is going to find Ansel to deliver this like kind of like a love note to him or like a drawing that she had made of the two of them yeah which was so like the innocence of an 11 year old it's just I was like oh you sweet baby angel like yeah, she drew a picture of the two of them of, like, will you be my boyfriend type thing. Yeah. It's so precious. So she's going to find him to give him this note. And she finds him down by the creek with all of these dead animals lined up. And so now we know that he is the one killing the animals and leaving them around the, the house. So she, of course, is freaked out, runs away. And she is telling... Or, like, goes in her room, is all freaked out. The other girls are talking. She won't tell them what's going on. Ansel comes up and tries to give her some cookies as, like, a present, a hush money. And they're, like, old and gross and crumbly. And so one of the girls takes them and they all start laughing and joking about, like, this gift that he gave. And he can overhear them and it sets him off and enrages him. And so he leaves one of the dead animals in Safi's bed, like yeah. oh. decomposing, like, Oh God, it was horrible. Yeah. And she so she just like rolls it up in her sheets and throws it yes. in the garbage can out back, but then like stops eating, stops speaking to anybody. It traumatized her. Yeah. Un- understandably, but she ultimately yeah. is like trans. Right. 
foster home because she just yeah. wants to get away. Yes. And then, uh, you know, we kind of follow the three, uh, like Safi, Kristen, and Lila. Um, you know, Safi and Kristen, well, Kristen, like, is kind of the success story, I guess. She yeah. goes to community college. She meets a guy. Like, she ends up getting married and having this lovely family. But Safi and Lila fall into, you know, drug addiction, partying, and they've kind of lost their way. Um, but then Safi, I think something happened. I forget, like, specifically what happened. Oh, she saw was, on the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming it's back when... now. Um, she saw on the news um, about the string of murders that summer because they're all around that town. And, you know, she's, they're following it all. It all happens within a few months. Um, Ansel commits his first murder that summer. Um, in another instance where he was laughed at and humiliated because he had also gone to a different home. He kind of had his own trailer, you know, this. He's, he's grown at like, he's older at this point. Yeah. But they like got him his own like trailer in a trailer park and kind of like set him up to be more independent and on his own. And he has, like, a job at the ice cream parlor in town. And, you know, he's been kind of flirting with one of his coworkers. And he convinces her to go home with him one night. And, you know, he was obviously, they were going to sleep together. But he couldn't get it up. And she starts laughing at him. And she leaves. And the next day, like, at work, would not, like, make eye contact with him. And humiliates him basically so sets him off yes which is the the main theme throughout of like his trigger is being laughed at and so this was one of the more horrifying parts is that he is like just driving home from work the next day after this like sleeping together incident after she has snubbed him at work and he just sees a random girl walking down the driveway towards the road and pulls over, picks her up and kills her. He strangles her and then dumps her body upstate in the woods. And that's just like, Oh my gosh, this this girl was just at a party walking down a driveway. Like I forget if she was going to meet someone or what, but yeah, just horrifying. You need to ride home. And then he quickly kill. he like gets that high like you said it's like the only time that the the crime stops so but it doesn't last very long so he starts to seek that high again and he kills in quick succession at this point um another stranger i think outside like a bar or outside a club she like stumbles outside um picks up another girl angela kills her but does not get that high. Like he doesn't yeah. feel anything after that. He takes her body to the same spot in the woods. And then the last murder of that summer is Lila, who we know from Miss Gemma's house. She's, you know, in the trio of Safi, Kristen, and Lila. Um, so and he, she... She was like, you don't remember me? Yeah, she recognizes him. And it's sad, but I, I feel like that is what like like he after she said that he did remember her as one of the the girls that laughed at me type thing and yeah i think so i think he was like kind of set on killing her anyway because she was off by herself Um, right but but then that like really triggered him to do it yes quickly and he killed her and the news of lila's disappearance and murder is kind of like what shocks safi out of like her drug induced party phase because she sees that on the news and it hits very close to home and she drives to the local police station and um, meets who will become like her mentor, Detective Moretti. And she's like, I know that girl. I want to help. So she helped party because the big thing was the three bodies that were not found that summer. Um, they were just disappearances, suspected murders uh but they couldn't find the bodies so she helped all that summer with search parties and then it kind of inspires her to get her life together and she applies at the local police academy and then 
and turns under Detective Moretti. You know, she helps that summer look for Lila. So it's kind of, it's starting to come full circle for Safi, but this is like what inspired her to get her life together. Um, yes. And these three girls are like the cold case that sticks with her. Like Safi has made it her mission to try to solve that and bring them justice. And like, yeah. she's, she brings up as she goes through her career, she just can't let it go. And she, she brings up that she suspects Ansel because she remembers, you know, the weird kid from her foster home. And the other detectives are like, eh, we kind of blew this off. They had what they thought was another suspect who was like a homeless person in the area, a transient mm-hmm. who they tried to pin it on. And they're like, no, we're not wasting time on anyone else. This is our guy. This is our guy. And it, yeah. it turns out that it wasn't. And so Safi kind of does her own surveillance and so she like always just keeps tabs on Ansel they're kind of in the same area and even though she she's like I don't have proof yet but I'm gonna like my gut says that there's a connection here and so she will do some surveillance of him you know like Mm -hmm. finding out where he lives and where he works and just kind of keeping tabs on him throughout the years yeah and she even goes so far as to try to question his um, fiance at the time, Jenny Fisk. And she drives up to the hospital. She finds out she's a registered nurse at a hospital. Um, So she drives up to question her and she's basically like, I can't prove anything like, but be careful, be careful around him. And Jenny, you know, was like, "That, that can't be my Ansel. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she refuses um, to talk to her. But one of the things that kind of sets off Safi's alarm bells is she saw like um, Jenny's ring that Ansel had given her was a ring that Lila had as a child at the foster care center. So this really only like furthers like to light the fire under her to prove Ansel uh, guilty but she really has nothing to go off of other than you know a similar ring um but this is when we meet jenny and hazel fisk um ansel ends up going to college in vermont and that's where he meets jenny um jenny and hazel are twin sisters so there's naturally going to be that competition there um jenny ends up going to college and hazel stays home but Hazel's a dancer. She's very, she's kind of like on her way up in the ballet world when she gets injured and you know has to have a knee operation. So that severely hinders her career. So she's stuck at home in their parents' house and their childhood room recuperating while Jenny's off, you know, living the seemingly grand life at college. And she comes home for Christmas one year with her new boyfriend in tow. And that new boyfriend is Ansel. Yes. And uh, there's tension, of course, with Hazel and Jenny because Hazel's resentful that Jenny's living this perfect, seemingly perfect life and she's stuck at home. And, you know, Jenny hasn't checked on Hazel and she just feels left out and forgotten. But she also feels this like, draw to Ansel which Mm -hmm. part of it is the like sibling competition of it all Um, but she Hazel wakes up one night that they're staying there and in the middle of the night and she like walks by her window and sees Ansel out in the yard burying something and she's like that's really weird but she brushed like she knows what she saw but she doesn't bring it up because she doesn't want to embar- like embarrass him. The whole family's been warned not to bring up Ansel's childhood because it was really traumatic. Like Jenny supposedly knows the whole story about the foster home and the, the dead baby brother and all of this. So she's like, don't talk about it. Don't ask him about his family. You know, don't buy him any Christmas presents because he can't buy you any and that's going to embarrass him. But of course he does like the family does still get him something. So then that's this Christmas is when he gives Jenny this ring, this really distinctive gold ring with a purple stone. It's like, like costume jewelry, basically. It's not, yeah. you know, 
it's not an engagement ring or anything, but it's just distinctive. And then it's that night that Hazel sees him out in the yard burying something. So she brushes it off, doesn't say anything to anyone, but it always kind of sticks with her that, you know, this first time she meets her sister's boyfriend and he is burying something out in the yard, which I, <laughs> this whole time I'm like, where did he get this shovel? Like, did he just go right. snoop around in the garage for the shovel? Yeah. Did he bring it with him? Was he planning to do this? Like, no, no, he definitely garage. I think he panicked. Um, yeah. which we'll find but out also, why. Like, but... So bold. So bold. Yeah, well, we know he doesn't think the same way uh, other people do. <laughs> That's true. But, That's a fair um, Hazel, you know, starts to live her own life. You know, you're flashing back and forth between all these characters. So we're doing our best at trying yes. to keep this somewhat linear. Um, but Hazel starts to live her own life. She meets somebody. They get married. She opens a dance studio, you know. But it's always like, you, I love the way this author like really highlighted the love between the two sisters, but also the yes. competition because Hazel always looked at her accomplishments compared to Jenny's. And she's like, I just wanted my parents approval. And I wanted my parents to look at me like they used to look at Jenny because while Hazel is making this great life, this safe and comfortable life, um, Jenny's, relationship with Ansel is starting to go downhill because at some point she confided in Hazel that Ansel couldn't feel emotions um and she's like I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing and I'm like that's a run red flag a very bad thing that's a very very bad thing but she proceeds with the marriage anyway um she becomes a nurse um and Ansel uh, drops out of college and he starts to work at like a furniture store uh, but they're uh, get so bad to the point you know like um, Jenny becomes alcoholic to escape her oh, hold on my cat um, Jenny <laughs> turns to alcohol to escape like the troubles of her relationship and ultimately decides that she needs to separate accepts a job in Texas and calls Hazel to come help her basically get her stuff and run out of the house and that like this is the side where you really like see Ansel's like menacing side yes Um, because while she's there he's like just following them around like while they're packing up all of Jenny's stuff and like basically like breathing down their necks and that was scary really freaks me out because they like got in the car as he was like running around and then they like peeled out of the driveway as he's like walking towards the, I don't know. It's like the classic horror movie scene where you're trying to get away from the bad guy. Um, It was horrifying, but I also like, I felt such relief that she made it away and that she like that, you know, Hazel, they talk about this, like, twin, I think they call it the reckoning, or the, the twin bond, or something that they have. Yeah. That she's like, I could just feel when something was wrong. And yeah. she, so she helped her. And I was just oh, so relieved that when she got on the plane and she made it to Texas and she started her new life away yeah. from him. I was like, oh, good. Thank God she made it away. Because you like these characters. Yeah, and but I, I feel like our, our time with Jenny is not over yet. You know, like the whole time. Uh, I, was, I know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the last we'll see of her. I know. But after Jenny leaves, um, Ansel starts to look into his family history. Um, but I think it's also important that we flash back to Lavender. Um yes. Because, you know, we don't really hear a lot from her, but it turns out she made it out to California, find her friend Jenny, but California is a big state, and she, you know, they don't have cell phones. So she did not find Jenny, but she did find a home there. Um, She kind of bounced around, tried different things, worked odd jobs, but then she ended up in, like, a female colony. Yes, Um, like a commune. Hippies. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, she kind of finds her place there. They all share their pasts and their traumas. And she feels very safe and accepted there. Yes. And she starts to flourish. Like, she really does make the life for herself that she had always dreamed of or that she'd always talked of. But she never forgets, like her boys and what happened before and she always she kind of wonders about them but it's not until later like with the help of these women that she really digs into the trauma she went through and what happened and she starts to to seek them out and see if she can just find out that they're okay or what happened yes so through their digging um you know, they don't find out much about Ansel, except that, you know, he's in college um, and, you know, he seems to be living a happy life. And I'm like, oh, Lavender, if only you knew. Um, But this is when we find out that baby Packer did not die after all. They were separated at the hospital um, that they were taken to after the police came to the farm and they were adopted by, you know, a wealthy family named the Harrisons. And they couldn't take both boys, so they just took baby Packer. And, and Ellis lives... What? This, oh, this made me so mad. When Lavender was talking when to this like, woman, he was like, both. we just couldn't take them both, you understand. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I do not understand no, why you could not take them both. Yeah, you separated oh. them. That little boy think his brother died. Yeah, like, that, that is... That- Forgivable. You got me. But you learned that Ellis moved to Vermont and he married um, a woman named Rachel and they had a daughter named Beatrice, but they nicknamed her Blue, which thank goodness. Um, (laughs) And they opened a diner, which they called the Blue House after their daughter. But Lavender, like she meets with his adopted mom and she's like, I just wanted you to know that you know, your son is happy, but also please don't contact him because this would be devastating. And Lavender accepts that. She's like, you know, I know what I was giving up and I'm just happy to see that my boys are happy and healthy. And so she kind of drops the subject and she never contacts Ellis. Um, But around the same time that she's discussing this, Ansel, like we said, he had been digging into his family history after, um, Jenny left and he discovers them around the same time and he drives up to the blue house. Well, I guess this is actually a couple of years later, but when he gets there, he discovers that Ellis has died of cancer at a young age, but he kind of like explains the situation to blue and Rachel. And I think actually blue found him. Yeah. I think think she wrote wrote a note to Ansel and was like, you don't know. But, you know, um, you're my uncle. And so he goes and he spends a few weeks there. And they're the happiest moments of his life. Um, and he, like, helps them do things around the restaurant. And he yeah. has meals with them and plays cards. Like, it's it feels like he's getting the family that he's always wanted and craved. Yes. And he's and like, he- if I only experienced this I know I can be better because this is after he had killed those three girls and he's like yeah I'll just start over and this will be my new life and I'll be happy and I you know won't seek that high that I was trying to find yes so meanwhile yeah it's scary so meanwhile Safi our detective is still like Throughout these years, she's still been keeping tabs on Ansel, whether she's actively working the case or whatnot. And she... She's, she's what? That she's obsessed with him. It's, she is it's, obsessed. And she, <laughs> like, has visions, I'll say, or, like... Yeah. Dreams. Like, thinks really heavily of these three girls and, like, envisions them. So she's really motivated by this whole like she is obsessed unhealthily but she has followed Ansel like trailed him doing surveillance and she sees him go to this diner and she gets really nervous when she sees him talking to this young beautiful girl who is blue his niece she's a teenager at this point and Safi's really alarmed because she's like this fits his MO of who he would kill 
She doesn't know the yeah. situation. But so one day while Ansel is not there, Safi goes into the diner and warns Rachel and Blue about Ansel and says, you know, he's a suspected of murder. You just need to watch yourself, like protect your daughter, this whole kind of thing. She tells the whole story. And so when Ansel comes back, Rachel kicks him out because she is alarmed by this, as she should be. Yeah. Um, but this, again, sets Ansel off because he, I mean, they're not really laughing at him, but he's, like, turned down by women again in his life, which is the whole trigger. And so he decides that he can't take this anymore and he's going to drive to Texas and win Ginny back because he is, like, still devastated seemingly about their marriage and whatever. And, oh, this is horrible. Fred, I felt when I found this. Oh, my God. So he drives to Texas and is going to find her. He, like ends up finding out what hospital she's working at and he's waiting outside for her and he sees her walking out with her new boyfriend who is also someone who works at the hospital and this just sets him off even farther and now he's mad because he's like his plan to win her back is thwarted by this other man so he follows Jenny home and stabs her to death in her new apartment with a kitchen knife and he is immediately arrested thankfully one of the neighbors like saw the truck loitering outside of the car or outside of the apartment he's hunted down arrested immediately for jenny's murder and then when safi hears about this she flies in and is like i think he's connected to these other murders and so she interrogates him questions him brings up this whole thing and she gets him to confess to these 1990 yes. murders. Yes. Because she brought with her the box that he buried in Jenny's backyard all those years ago. Because at um, Jenny's funeral, Hazel is obviously distraught. And she remembers that moment whenever he buried something in the backyard. So she goes. And after all these years, she finds the area that that was. And she digs and finds a box of jewelry. And we find out, and this is how Safi, like, she uses this to get him to confess, but he took, like, trinkets from that he killed. And the trinket he took from Lila was the purple ring that he gave Jenny. And that's why he, like, buried it in a haste, because he was like, I gave myself away. I need to get rid of the rest of the evidence. So he buried it. But the entire time she's questioning him, She's like, why did you do it? Did you, like, did it feel good? And he's like, no, I didn't feel anything. And she's like, why did you take the trinkets or these trophies? And, you know, when he was a kid, he remembered his mother's locket. And she said, like, when you wear this locket, um, you'll always be safe. And so he took the trinkets. He's like, because they made me feel safe. And just demented, demented stuff. And, but at the end of the interrogation, she confesses. But they're like, why did you kill these girls? And he's like, I don't know. I just did. Uh, and that's chilling. It's so disturbing. It gives me chills. But it's also like kind of the psychological aspects you brought up in the summary is like, there's not always a reason. Like people I think are obsessed with, you know, this type of person, the psychology behind it, the motive, all this stuff. And there's not always a reason. Yes. They're just crazy. Like, they're just... Yeah, they don't know they're victims. And one thing that I thought was so sad about the trinket thing, which it was sprinkled in earlier on. Like, you knew that they're... Because by the time they find the bodies and the families are asking... They're like, is there anything missing? And two of the moms or two of the loved ones of the first two girls notice like, oh, her necklace is gone or, oh, she was wearing this hair clip that's not there. And so they can't find a trinket that would have reasonably been taken from Lila. 
and they're like, so maybe it's not connected. Maybe it's a coincidence. And Safi's like, well, there was no loved one to look out for her to know what she was wearing. Yeah. And I just thought that was so heartbreaking that like, oh, and it's so sad, like that this happens to people all the time in America where the yeah. system fails them in one way or another to where like there's no one there to be a loved one to say this is what is wrong or this is what is missing but lila ends up recognizing the ring just by the coincidence of of knowing these people like knowing her before but it was that just i don't know that just stuck with me and broke my heart it is incredibly heartbreaking because like it even mentioned how like the first two girls izzy and angela like got a lot of press and there was a lot of news around them but since Lila didn't have anybody in her life like that, it kind of, like, faded very quickly because there were no, like, sensational interviews or articles they could write. Um, it was just Safi who knew her and, like, remembered. Which, which is, is so true of, uh, like, the way we consume true crime media. Yeah. Like, it's it's really, talked about all of the time. Like, it is the, yeah. the beautiful white women that get all of the press when things go yeah. missing and are wrong. And it's not to say that they don't deserve that. Like everyone does, but then you see all of the like missing and murdered indigenous women or women of color or people of color in general, like men even that go missing and no one, no one cares. They're not on the six o'clock news for three weeks straight. Like, right. It's not like, like a little byline and then that's it. Yeah. So it was so interesting how she, you know, weaves that in and humanizes it in a really real way. Yeah. And, you know, after this, after his arrest and everything, you know, he's in prison for many, many years. But after the loss of her uncle, Blue then tracks down Lavender and writes her a letter. And, um, you know, she, Lavender finally has this tie to her old life. Um, she's overjoyed to receive this letter because she, you know, you have to give her credit. She respected the adopted parents' like wishes, and she did not reach out to Ellis, and she left them alone, just like with the peace in her heart that he was happy. But after he passed away, um, his adopted mother told Blue about, you know, her experience meeting lavender and you know gives her her address. So she reaches out to lavender, and they do meet, and they meet this. You know, they have this wonderful week together, but at the end, she asks about Ansel. Lavender asks Blue about Ansel, and I, Blue, just to me, like, blew me away of, like, how mature she was, and, like, how she took everything in stride, but she's like, I did know Ansel, but, like, what I'm about to tell you is very hard, so if you don't want to hear it, and you just want to live with this image of Ansel in your mind, like, I'm not going to tell you, but Lavender asked her to tell her so she says um that he is currently an inmate on death row and the last correspondence they had was he asked if she would be the witness at his execution and she agreed to come which Which, like props to her for agreeing for that like part of it makes me mad like can you um no and I also think about, like, the audacity of this man to ask her that. Yeah. To yes. Like, why even put that burden on her? She's 20-something at this point. She's a young girl. Yes. Probably traumatized yeah. from her connection yeah. to you. And yet you're burdening her with asking her to come witness your execution. Like, that yeah. is just unhinged. It's absolutely unhinged. It's But, like, also on par with it yeah no it tracks but i'm just like you i don't know it just it's just another layer of how truly like self-centered and messed up people like this are like zero regard for anyone else's feelings or the world around them so now we circle back to ansel and He's being transported from the prison to what they call um, the Walls Unit, which is where the execution will take place. And 
he's anticipating um, being able to find the gun that Shauna left him because she told him that morning that she did it. And so he's like kind of like on this adrenaline rush. And when they pass kind of like the landmark that they said would be the signal to him to get the gun, he sticks his feet like under the driver's seat and pulls something out thinking it was going to be her um, late husband's gun. And it turns out to be like jumper cables or something. Yeah. And you that Shauna saw through Ansel's disguise and the manipulation and refused to help him. And so this is the first moment you know Ansel knows that he will not escape and that he will be executed that day. I was proud of Shauna. I was glad. I was. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was like, you strong. Because I was like reading it. I was like, there's no way there's enough of this book left for like Chase and there's no way he's getting away. You know, I was like, yeah. I'm running Shauna. Um, and she came through and she did not help him. So his final moments are just him taking stock of his life and I think the final insult from Shauna which was honestly my favorite um was not only did she not help him escape she also did not get his quote-unquote theory out into the world which was his theory on life and why people like they're equal parts good and bad and it's what they act on and how you can forgive the bad like because he was a psychology major um which is crazy um in school and so it was his whole theory on mankind, essentially. And he, she was supposed to, like, take it to a publisher. Um, but while he's in uh, the Walls unit waiting for his execution, they, like, bring the manuscript in, which she yeah. was supposed to take and be like, you forgot this. And I was like, yes, Shauna. <laughs> I was so, that was just, like, the final insult to him. Like, you thought yeah. you played, but you got played. Um and so it's just like his final moments of taking stock of his life. And he's like, I still can't answer the question of why did you kill those girls? And he, the only remorse he feels is that he got caught. Yes. It's yeah. just, oh, true, like Ted Bundy. Like it's not remorse for what you've done, it's remorse that you got caught and that your life is ending, which is yeah. so. Yeah. Because he's like, I would have lived a better life from this point on. I wouldn't have done it again. But, like, you know he would. Something yeah, oh, would yeah. Just like with Jenny. So, Blue arrives to the execution. Um, Hazel and her mother are there also. Kind of, like, vindication for Jenny. Um, and then you go through the whole process. Which was, this was very chilling to me, too, you know. You go through it in Ansel's point of view where, you know, he's taken into the room and he's strapped down. Um, They offer him, like, one last chance to speak. Um, And, you know, he's like, you think in that moment you're going to say something memorable or, like, legendary. But all he did was, like, beg and plead for his life. Um, And then they inject him with the chemicals. And it's, like, some very unique imagery at the end. Um, It's, like, when he dies and the chemicals are taking effect um it says he feels like a dark mass lifting off of him and that's like the badness the badness <laughs> you know what I mean? the evil big words here yeah the evil like lifting out of him and in that moment he felt everything he felt love he felt happiness he felt all you know positive emotions and he understood that even he had goodness within him and then he died and that's well, except for the epilogue. That's it for Ansel. Um, but the yes. epilogue I think is particularly haunting because it describes just like a very short description of the lives of each of Ansel's victims had they survived. Oh, uh, that got me. Like it, it was haunting. It gave me chills. I cheered yeah. up. You yes. do think of what would have what would they have gone on to do and the peek, you know, into their future of each of the four girls, Izzy, Angela, Lila, and Jenny. Yeah. Which was like how impactful, how powerful. Yes. What what a good book. I know it sounds morbid and it is. 
it's a very heavy subject, but it was so well done. Yes. And I loved that tidbit at the end and throughout, like how with Safi, how she constantly thinks about these girls and like imagines what if, and then the end kind of what, what their lives could have been because oftentimes in true crime, which is wrong, but the focus is so much on the perpetrator and like the fascination with them that the victims names get lost and you, sometimes you can forget that they were real people with lives and families and potential and it gets lost in the haze of like fascination with the killer. And so I liked the way that she ended this, like she didn't just end it with Ansel. She ended it with the victims and the women. Yes. I agree with that. Very well said. And there's much to be discovered in this book. I know we say that every time this time. (laughs) There's so much. Like, there's so much to learn about Hazel and Lavender and Safi. Safi in particular. Like, she had some pretty good chunks of the book dedicated to her story and her work in the police force. You know, she truly joined it for good but it talks about you know being a woman not only a woman but a woman of color and you know her struggle to find her identity because she lost her parents at a young age and her friendship with Kristen who's grew up in foster care with her and I loved her story um it showed like her struggles um that she she went through and that she's still going through because of everything that happened to her as a child. So I really like Safi. I think she was my favorite, but yeah, so much to discover about her, but we could go on forever if we did all the details of everyone's. Yes. So we definitely recommend checking this book out, especially for someone who likes true crime. It might make you think about it in a different way. Even if you're not, it's, like we've said, there's a whole lot of undertones about society and psychology and trauma and just humanity in general, like the way people mm-hmm. are shaped that I feel like there's something for everyone with this book. Yeah. So definitely check it out. And I think that wraps up our thoughts on this one. Yeah. Highly recommend. Go read it. Um, you know, message us and it's an email, comment on our post on it. Let us know what you think about it. And if you have any true crime thriller recommendations or really any book recommendations, we are always open to new ideas, new authors, new genres um, that we haven't covered yet. Yes. And you can find us over on Instagram at Life and Lit Pod. You can send us an email at lifeandlitpod at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and leave us a review if you are so inclined. And we will be back next week. We have a total myriad for July, which I'm excited about. Like it's a hodgepodge month, but we've got some really good ones. So we're going to be next week so be sure to tune in for that we will post all of our releases and the books that we feature over on our instagram so make sure to follow along over there but until next time happy reading Mm -hmm.